Hi, this is Brian from Liar City. I used to like I Doubt It with Dollamore a lot. Dollamore even took me out for a nice steak dinner once. But once we got back to his place, he got awfully handsy. The sound of his voice now fills me with terror, so there's that. You should probably just listen to Liar City instead. Podcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show, episode 101 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting across from me, apparently sponsored this episode by Junior Mints, and possibly every future episode sponsored by Junior Mints, is my lovely fan of Junior Mints co-host, Brittany Page. I'm not going to eat them. Oh. during the show. Oh. I just I brought them in uh-huh. here with me, oh. yeah. but I'm uh. not I'm not mm. going to mm-hmm. I won't eat them. Yes. during the show. You just it's product placement that no one can see. I just brought them in with me cuz it feels better to have them near me, but right. but I won't eat them, especially not before I'm about to read something. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I thought you were going to comment on how I'm kicking everything because we switched positions. We we're, did. We're sitting in different spots than we normally do, and I'm not used to where I'm currently sitting, so I've almost knocked the table over twice. Well, I switched. I haven't noticed, and maybe that's because it's just a better setup. But And as the audience knows, those of you who have listened to the show for, for some time, I don't really like to talk about how the sausage is made, so to speak, how the podcast is done and everything, because it just it seems like it's inside boring bullshit. And however, I guess I should say, not and, um, I always when I when I listen back to the show while I'm editing, I hear kind of an echo, and I kind of got came to the conclusion it was the way we have it set up in here, and hopefully, me sitting on this side. The things on the other side over by you won't echo back my ridiculous, stupid, carnival barker voice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? No, I don't know what you mean. I think you're just being neurotic. <laughs> well, it would take a neurotic person to know a neurotic person, as the saying goes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? That's, that's what I've heard. Right. So a couple things. One... I would like to admonish our audience, our loyal, loving, listening audience, to go to iTunes or to whatever conveyance you listen to the show, Stitcher or whatever, and uh, rate and review us on iTunes or whatever. Let's just say iTunes and we know what it means. Um, We haven't said that in a long time and we've kind of stalled out on how many reviews we have. So if you listen with any frequency whatsoever, go review the show. Leave us uh, a fair... Uh, rating, and then leave us a little blurb, a little whatever. And if you want to leave a little criticism in there, go right ahead. If you want to leave some constructive notes on what you'd like to hear, do that too. Or if you would like to ladle upon us the gravy that pours onto biscuits 
and have it be your... Are you falling asleep over there? No. Are you faking like you're falling asleep because you hate what I'm saying? Yes. All right. <laughs> so if Brittany was to leave a review for the show, it would probably be negative at this point. <laughs> However, I would, I would just say to you, go ahead and leave a fair review. It does help us move our position in iTunes. And as evidenced by friend of the show, Brian, who was just on from his podcast, Liar City. He was on a couple episodes ago talking about uh, about Lance Armstrong. Mm-hmm. He has seen a meteoric rise in the iTunes rankings. He is, I think, as of last we checked a couple hours ago, 114th overall. Mm-hmm. Not just in his subgenre or in his subcategory. Overall, he has the 114th ranked podcast out of all... Of the thousands and thousands of podcasts filled with nerds in their mom's basement talking into their laptop. Pretty impressive. Super awesome. Yes. So I wanted to give him a little bit of shout out. He was, of course, the intro leading in talking about how I got a little handsy. I can't help it. Brian's a sexy guy. So um, check out his show. But before you check out his show, (laughs) leave us a rating or review. As always, we've got our Facebook page and our our Twitter, which we're starting to do some more stuff with. So go follow us on Twitter, I Doubt It Podcast, at I Doubt It Podcast. And then once again, before we move on, or not once again, but um, before we move on, though, talking about Twitter, something happened this last week that I never talked about because we had so such full shows. Um Reza Aslan, if you don't remember who Reza Aslan is, let me uh, refresh your memory. I'm actually quite a prominent Muslim thinker in the United States. <laughs> that is Reza Aslan. Apparently, he is a scholar. I am an expert with a PhD in the history of religions. You know, he, he's a very smart man. I am a scholar of religions with four degrees, including one in the New Testament and fluency in biblical Greek. Wow. Yeah. He's pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, if listen, if you weren't sure whether he was impressive or not, he would be sure to remind you. I just want to emphasize this one more time. I am a historian. I am a PhD <laughs> in the history of religion. Listen, he just wants to emphasize it one more time, Brittany. Well, the lovely and apparently scholarly Reza Aslan has blocked your humble, humble host on Twitter. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, I didn't know this until the other day. Sam Harris, who frequently has tiffs back and forth with Reza Aslan, um, had, had tweeted something. And then I saw a tweet in response from Reza. So I went to go check out his profile and see what had been going on. And it wouldn't let me. It told me, uh, sorry, you be fucking blocked. Yeah, well, when you block someone on Twitter, what it looks like to the person that you've blocked is like you have a private Twitter account. So, of course, Reza Aslan does not have a private Twitter account. No, no, no. It, they changed it. Oh, really? It says you have been blocked. You can't see his tweets or his, or anything about his profile. It, oh, huh. it, it tells you, yeah. So, apparently... He doesn't like me. You know, what's weird, though, is because I haven't really actively shit on him on Twitter. The only thing I can think of is that he's listened to the show because he's just narcissistic to search himself on iTunes and see what people are saying. And he blocked the living shit out of me. But not you. 
and no. not the podcast uh, Twitter account. Right, which is probably where your logic is flawed. Well, I don't know. I know that I've communicated with uh, a co-founder of ex-Muslims of North America, and they were really on the bandwagon early on when we were doing the I am a scholar, I have 10 degrees hashtags um, several months ago. And it was uh, it was obviously working and resonating because, you know, he uh, he no like the Jesse. So good to go. Um, I do want to warn the audience before we move on. My back is, uh, I don't know, how are the kids saying it? Uh, fucked up <laughs> right now. In fact, I am on not a litany or a handful. So I am on muscle relaxers for it. And I, I, they started to kick in uh, 15 or 20 minutes before we, we uh, sat down. So I won't be fully on my game, I, I doubt. But hopefully it won't affect me too much. So. That uh, that is about it. So we'll do a little follow up now. Um, I don't know which episode it was. However, uh, th there was a young man named Elliot Roger who went on a shooting spree and killed six or seven people in the Santa Monica area several months ago, last year sometime. And there was a lot made of it. You know, all the, the, the typical things that happens when a shooting uh, takes place where they were calling him evil and all this stuff hear that evil yeah i love how you say it um and he was mentally ill and uh, just to refresh your memory this uh he, he put some videos out on youtube prior to his the carnage that he um was responsible for and i want to just refresh the audience's memory as to who he is if i can't have you girls i will destroy you <laughs> His laugh is like yours. You denied me right. a happy life. And in turn, I will deny all of you life. Clearly mentally <laughs> ill. I mean... It's only fair. I hate all of you. Humanity is a disgusting, wretched, depraved species. If I had it in my power, I would stop at nothing to reduce every single one of you to mountains of skulls and rivers of blood a little game of thrones right there right well like i said he's he's um he wasn't right he there was something mentally wrong with him he was 22 years old so he was young yeah and obviously very frustrated with women and he he talked a lot in his videos about how he was a virgin and how he couldn't get women to like him well, th this was, he talked a little bit about this in the final video that he posted just hours before he went on his killing spree. Hi, Elliot Roger here. Well, this is my last video. It all has to come to this. Tomorrow is the day of retribution. The day in which I will have my revenge against humanity, against all of you. For the last eight years of my life, ever since I've hit puberty, I've been forced to endure an existence of loneliness, rejection, and unfulfilled desires, all because girls have never been attracted to me. Girls gave their affection and sex and love to other men 
but never to me. I'm 22 years old, and I'm still a virgin. I've never even kissed a girl. So that was the final video he did before he went, went nutty. I mean, ultimately nutty, murderously nutty. And uh, there are new developments in his case, or they released details surrounding what took place on that day. Right. The Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Department released a report on Thursday, which provided new details on how the day, I guess, kind of went down for him when he decided to kill uh, several people and injure 14 other people on his spree. So he started with a search online for, quote, quiet, silent kill with a knife. And then he practiced on his pillows and sheets in his bed um, with a knife, uh, stabbing and slashing. And they know this because of the evidence. They've gone in and seen the all the stab imprints and, and wound entrance points in the pillows and stuff. Right. And so they believe it was rehearsing the killings. And then he stabbed his roommates. He used two long fixed blade knives, including a nearly nine inch boar hunting knife to kill one of his roommates who was 20 years old, both of his roommates who were 20 years old. And he did this in the apartment he shared with them. And then a friend later showed up who was 19 years old and he stabbed that person 94 times. And then he went out with his guns and did 94 his, times and did his shooting rampage. And minutes before he decided to leave the apartment to do the shooting rampage, he sent his 137 page manifesto titled My Twisted World to 34 people, including his parents and medical and mental health providers who had treated him, which, oh, my God. Yeah, can you imagine? Um, that would just be, I mean, what a terrible day for you as a mental health professional who had treated this person to open your email and receive that. I, I read imagine. the entire thing. So, I mean. I mean, going into that field, if you, you, you do have some insight into thinking about I'm going to be treating people. I may be treating these types of folks who might have these, these um ideations that would be i mean terrible right right and i don't really remember because i read this you know this happened in may of last year or yeah may of last year and i read it then so i don't really remember the specifics now but from what i can remember you know therapy works if you work in therapy so you have to be right. honest and forthcoming with what's in your brain in order to have the person help you so I think when he would write about his therapy in the manifesto that he wasn't always forthcoming sure. in those sessions. And so how is someone supposed to help you or even get to the bottom of your problem if you're withholding things that would be an important piece of the puzzle? You know, so I think a lot of people are quick to go, well, what what did this mental health professional do that failed him? And it might not be about that. It might just be that, you know, he didn't share things that he needed to in the sessions. Right. Um, a librarian also told investigators that she helped him look up books on serial killers and 
mass murderers two to three months before the rampage, and internet search records shows that he was fascinated with Adolf Hitler and the Nazis, and they have concluded that he clearly suffered from significant mental illness that ultimately resulted in homicidal and suicidal rage. So this is just kind of, you know, Elliot Rogers such a fascinating person because you can still go watch his videos on YouTube, and he re- he posted right. several minute-long videos. Right. I'm subscribed. I'm subscribed to his uh, YouTube channel. Hi. And- Elliot Roger here. And it really is a fascinating look into this guy. I mean, he has such a unique personality, obviously not in a great way. Um, you know, just unique is probably the best word to describe it. Well, all the friends that they've interviewed about who knew this guy leading up to this, they all said he was creepy. There was something off. He wasn't a normal guy who didn't he did not interact in a normal social way. Yeah. So there were there there had to have been warning signs that everyone just ignored because he was such an awkward character. Yeah, and that's the thing. I don't really know what a solution would be, you know, because the mental health community is not good at predicting these things because they're hard to predict. The main predictor for suicide is previous attempts at suicide. I mean, it's right. not a great yeah. system that we have. So, yeah. you know, it's hard to tell where someone's going to go because you don't want to infringe on someone's rights just because they're a little strange. You know, it doesn't mean they'll be like Elliot Roger, but he was exhibiting these things and he gave people weird vibes. So I would just wish there was a better way to figure out how to intervene when we have these suspicions about certain people. You know, if your roommates in the other room Googling silent kill with a knife, I mean, there's no real way for you to know that that's happening. And that's kind of alarming. Well, it's that is a problem we probably won't get to the bottom of, of how to preempt these type of things. However... When there is less stigma on mental illness, that is when these people who, when he is in more of a right frame of mind, he'll be able to feel comfortable coming forward to get help. But as it is now, when, oh, it's evil, it's evil, it's evil, and when someone has quote-unquote evil thoughts in their head, rather right. than if it's labeled as evil, oh, I'm an, I'm an outcast, if it's not just, oh, fucking evil, but... That's mental illness. You have something wrong with your brain. We can treat you. We can help you. Please come to us. Let us help you. Then the tide will turn, I believe. It's also probably uh, a lesson to people as well because even in in college, I have seen instances where someone will walk by uh, like two girls in a hallway and they will immediately start laughing and and gossiping about this person that just walked by who looks like a loner and who isn't dressed you know and that's hateful and that is going to affect people and maybe it's best that when someone is a little weird or there seems like a loner or something being nice to them right well it's is are your actions contributing to overall happiness or, or, or overall sadness i mean that's that should be a mantra everybody lives by. And if you're just making fun to make fun, that's shitty. You're not helping anybody. You're not helping the situation. Right. You're, are you being exclusive or are you being inclusive? Maybe that's a better way to say it. And that's the other difficult thing because obviously if someone watched these videos of Elliot Roger, I mean... Hi. Elliot Roger here. Yeah, you're not going to be real keen on wanting to be this guy's friend because there's clearly something wrong with him. But right. I just wish there would have been some way to like send these videos or something to the cops when he's like threatening violence, you know, preemptively. Yeah. You know, get alert somebody or something. I, I just anyway. I mean, mountains of skulls and rivers of blood. 
little theatric, but um, definitely a cry for help. All right, well, um, good follow-up. Moving forward, uh, Richard Dawkins, famed atheist and famed um, biologist, he wrote a column recently for Time magazine about a school in London or in the in the England in that area. Again, my back hurts. <laughs> and um, he's taken a school to task for not allowing pork products in their school lunch program because they have Muslims in their school. Not all Muslims, but they have Muslims. And they they are concerned that young children, four or five-year-old children, won't know that it's pork and eat it anyway, which is a little ridiculous because if they don't know that it's pork, how can they really be faithful to their religion in the first place? I mean, or how they how can it be considered to be their religion when they're that young? Right. So it's the local government council of the London Borough, Islington. Someone was quoted in the Gazette and then requoted in the Independent. And it's it's a spokesman from the council. And they said, quote, young children, some as young as four years old of different of different religious and ethnic backgrounds may not know which foods contain pork or may not realize the importance of avoiding it due to their culture or beliefs. And, you know, we we have many times on this show criticized Richard Dawkins for things that he said because he's not always, you know, the brightest bulb. But I like what he says here because he says... Would you speak of a four-year-old's political beliefs? Yeah. Hannah is a socialist four-year-old. Mark is a conservative. <laughs> um, he says, who would ever dream of saying such a thing? What would you say if you read a demographic article which said something like, one in every three children born today is a Kantian neo-Latinist child? He makes a good point. It's, it's interesting because when they talk about all the Muslim children in the world or all the Christian children in the world, they're not really Christ, uh, Christians or Muslims because they're too young to have made that decision, to make that conscious intellectual choice to believe in that. And he he really illustrates it when he says the child is a liberal. A right. four-year-old isn't a liberal. The four-year-old isn't a conservative. The four-year-old's a four-year-old. Right. And some people say, well, you know, Labeling a child Muslim or Catholic is no worse than labeling her French or Swedish, he says, but this is not a good comparison. Citizens, citizenship of a country, whether we like it or not, has legal implications. Yes. Your country issues your passport. You are allowed to vote in its elections. You may even be drafted to fight in its wars. But if you know somebody's nationality, that doesn't tell you their opinions about anything. That French person may be left-wing, right-wing, pacifist, or warlike, pro or anti-abortion, the death penalty, vegetarianism, Windows, Macintosh. Like, <laughs> you know, just right, because right. someone is French doesn't tell you what they feel well about and something. and uh, on the on the the subject of citizenship you're granted citizenship upon birth i don't know how it works elsewhere but in the united states if you're born here you you are it is conferred upon you that you are a citizen of the united states so th that's a terrible analogy listen right. We are critical of Richard Dawkins because he has said some ridiculous things, some terrible asshole-like things. In fact, I think we have uh, a title of one of our episodes about him being an asshole. But it that doesn't encompass him. It, we, he can be criticized, and he is open to criticism when he says something stupid. 
This, however, is not stupid. This is wise. This is thoughtful. And it should be, it's a subject that needs to be talked about. He makes another good point when he says that divorce courts may be asked to decide whether a child of a broken marriage should be raised Catholic or raised Protestant or raised whatever. And nobody ever asked a court to rule on whether a child should be raised soccer or raised rugby or raised liberal or raised conservative or raised Macintosh or raised windows. You know, like the same thing, though. It is the same thing. Right. It's, It's hard to I mean, those are things that kids should kind of choose i mean whatever they gravitate towards that's what they should do rather than this is your label just because you were born to me i now have control over who you are rather than well no this person was just born and yes they were born to you but they're their own person yeah and the once the umbilical cord is cut they're no longer part of you Right. It's not this like, it's not, you don't own them yeah. kind of well, a thing. It's the it's, same thing. It's similar to what's going on in Idaho right now with the case of these faith healing parents who won't bring their child who has a curable, treatable illness and they end up dying of something as, as simple as the flu or, or you know, minor illnesses relative to something catastrophic like cancer. And like 14 kids have died over the last few years and Idaho won't back up the law, strengthen the law to make their particular flavor of Christianity and the way that they're not treating their children. They're not making that illegal. And that's, I've seen a lot of quotes where they talk about, well, my child, you know, kids die and that's just a part of life. And you know, my kids are going to go to heaven. And so it's a much better place. That's dangerous thinking. When you're not treating your child, you know, when you're indoctrinating them into your particular flavor of your faith, which nine times out of 10 is because you have that faith because you were born into a family that had that faith, you know, so. Well, and it's problematic in a lot of ways. I remember in high school, I would get so annoyed because, and I did it too, I guess, but my parents didn't really have like a political affiliation, but everyone who said, oh, I'm a Republican or I'm a whatever, it was, you're just saying that because of your parents. Like you don't know, you haven't, nothing has happened for you to know what's going on with how (laughs) you feel politically. Like relax, you can figure it out as your life continues. You don't need to decide now, like relax, you know? So I think he makes a good point when he says, you know, there's no such thing as a Catholic child, a Muslim child, a Hindu child. There's such thing as a child of Catholic parents. But yeah. there's no such thing as, you know, a liberal child. <laughs> well, that's that's really what resonates with me. And I've never really heard it put that way. But that's that's what locks it up for me is no one would consider a child liberal because his parents are liberal. No one would consider a, a, a young, a little girl, a a fan of Beck's music because her parents like Beck's music. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's right. just, It's ridiculous. And if you like a band or don't like a band, I don't see that as any different from a religion. You've made a choice, you know, weird. So staying on the topic of religion, loosely, I guess, I mean, not really. He's the vicar of Christ on earth. The Pope has made some, I believe, at the very least hurtful and problematic and at the very worst dangerous comments about transgender people and how... Well, he spoke on the dangers of the transgender population. 
Right. Pope Francis, who everybody loves. Let's keep mm, that in mind yeah. as we listen to this. I, I wish I had some applaud, applause music because or applause sound effect because that is what he gets. Even lib- crazy liberals love this guy because he has this public information machine and this PR machine that has turned him into someone who's just getting the best press. Well, we'll see after this. (laughs) Pope Francis has strongly criticized modern theories that consider people's gender identities to exist along a spectrum, saying that such theories do not, quote, recognize the order of creation. He says, quote, let's think of the nuclear arms of the possibility to annihilate in a few instances a very high number of human beings. Let's think also of genetic manipulation, of the manipulation of life, or of the gender theory that does not recognize the order of creation. With this attitude, man commits a new sin, that against God, the creator. The true custody of creation does not have anything to do with the ideologies that consider man like an accident, like a problem to eliminate. God has placed man and woman and woman at the summit of creation and has entrusted them with the earth. The design of the creator is written in nature, says the liberal Pope Francis. Right. So he, <laughs> he's he's comparing um, transgendered people, people who are born a man and who who feel or or a woman, they, they're, they're born a certain gender, a certain sex, and inside they they don't feel that what they have in their heart or in their in their psyche matches their their outside equipment it's their insides don't match their outsides i guess that's the easiest way to put it and so he's comparing those people and i can't imagine being born that way what a what a confusing terrible situation i I wouldn't wish that on anybody i mean it's a it's a bummer that that's the way it is and he's comparing them to nuclear weapons he's comparing them to an astronomically powerful weapon that could destroy our planet. It's it's harsh. Like I said, it, at the very least, it's just hurtful. But at the most, it's dangerous. If he's convincing his one and a half billion Catholics or whatever the number is to to shun, to treat um, hatefully, it's it's a terrible thing. And the the, the praise that gets just poured out upon uh, Pope Francis is. Uh, not warranted. It's terrible. So here's a funny story. This is something we've been wanting to talk about for a while and just never really worked in. But a story came up and Georgia, there is a woman who is scheduled to die today at the hands of the Georgia state government. Uh, she is on yeah, death row. When you phrase it like that, it's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, it's the death penalty is a terrible thing. Um, she oh, is, I just looked it up. A weather threat has postponed her es- execution. All right. Well, as of right now, February 25th, 2015, the woman is, has been granted cl- clemency by the Almighty, the Creator, through an act of God. Well, no, it's just rescheduled for Monday. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, what made the news wasn't anything about the death penalty and how terrible it is as a policy, but what, what made the news was her last meal request. Yes, because apparently it's a big one compared to the average last meal request. But maybe it's also notable because she's the only woman on Georgia's death row right now. But her meal, okay, this is her meal. It's going to be two cheeseburgers, two large orders of french fries, lemonade, cherry vanilla ice cream, 
popcorn, cornbread, and a salad made of boiled eggs, tomatoes, <laughs> bell peppers, <laughs> onions, carrots, cheese, and buttermilk dressing. Wow. So that is a that, hearty meal. That last thing is gross. <laughs> no, that salad sounds good. I, I just was confused how it said a salad made of boiled eggs, but then I, I got that these other things were also included in the salad. You, so. think, you think they'll slice them or, or will they be just like giant olives that are <laughs> egg flavored inside the salad? Um, I don't know. Beer. But hopefully that popcorn has yeast poured all over it because that's good. Brewer's yeast. Brewer's you yeast, have to yeah. Eat. Sorry, not just yeast. <laughs> not just a bag of yeast. Fleischmann's bread yeast. Yeah. I love that shit sprinkled on. <laughs> so it led us to, and it's something we've been wanting to talk about for a long time, uh, is death row last meal requests, which I think is a fascinating thing. Just even the culture and the tradition of granting a last meal in itself is a weird practice. Right. So I'll just do a couple of the most notable um, people that mm -hmm. have been put to death. So Eileen Wuornos. Isn't she, that the the monster lady? Right. Yeah. The, um, the Charlize Theron Charlize, played her. Yeah. Mm -hmm, and won an Oscar for it, I think. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Um, so she was executed in Florida in 2012. Um, through, Shocker. Through lethal injection. Not because we shit on Florida, but because Florida and Texas are known as states that get it done. Right. Okay. So now that I'm reading it, it's actually not that interesting. She declined a special meal, but had a hamburger and other snack food from the prison's canteen. And then later she drank a cup of coffee. <laughs> so she wanted to be awake for the procedure, you know, I guess I don't want to be dozing off while they're killing me. I guess while the state is taking it upon themselves to end my life. Yikes. Yeah. Okay. So the next one is John Wayne Gacy. Oh, yeah. Who is the, you know, the childhood clown guy who would dress yeah. up like the clown. And he was burying people like under his front porch, I think. Yeah. I'm not totally like down with all his uh, details. His goings on. <laughs> yeah. But he is a serial murderer. So yeah, yeah. dangerous cool, psychopath. Cool stuff. Um, and he was executed in Illinois in 1994 through lethal injection. Mm -hmm. And he had a dozen deep fried shrimp, <laughs> a bucket of original recipe chicken from KFC. Uh, that's good, though. French fries and a pound of strawberries. Wow. That's very that's an eclectic an eclectic list of things to order yes uh, well it's interesting texas who obviously is the granddaddy of uh death row follow-throughs i guess you should say or i guess i will say um texas doesn't give a last meal anymore no they banned it and why do they ban it well, they banned it because a guy named Lawrence Russell Brewer requested two chicken fried steaks, a triple meat bacon cheeseburger, fried okra, a pound of barbecue, three fajitas, a meat lover's pizza, a pint of ice cream, and a slab of peanut butter fudge with crushed peanuts. And, and then when it arrived, he did not eat it. Right. He just said, yeah, I was just kidding. <laughs> I mean, wow. I don't know what he said, but... So I guess uh, Texas is uh, there... Their logic behind it was, well, we spent too much money on that pizza, so they just, we're not going to do that anymore. Right. Now, if you're on death row in Texas, you get the same food as everyone else does on that day. It's, it's. I mean, listen, I don't think these people have, a, they're entitled to some fancy meal at all, but I just think it's interesting. The reason that they stopped doing it is because, hey, look, we know we're going to kill the guy, 
we're going to end his life as a government, but hey, we spent 250 bucks on that dinner. That's uh in fact that probably wasn't even 250 bucks. That that's maybe $80. Well, I mean if he had the pound of barbecue flown in from Franklin Barbecue. It's in Texas. Oh, that's what I Yeah, it's not like he's in Maine having the barbecue flown in. <laughs> There's barbecue on every every corner. It's like Starbucks in Texas. Mm. Barbecue shops. Yum. Oh yeah. That's perfect. So that's just weird to me. But re- recently there was research done that talks about what your last meal request, or if you have a last meal request, what that means and what that says about your particular innocence or guilt. Right. Researchers at Cornell University have looked at the last meal requested or rejected by 247 persons who were executed in the U.S. between 2002 and 2006 and found that those who maintained their innocence to the very end were far more likely to reject the meal than prisoners who had accepted their guilt. I I find this very interesting. And I wonder, we should probably get somebody on the show that could speak more expertly upon it, but it's, it's fascinating to me. Those who were denied guilt were 2.7 times as likely to decline a last meal than people who admitted guilt, 29% versus 8%. Prisoners who were at peace with their sentence were, as the researchers put it, asked for 34% more calories than those who insisted they were innocent. And the innocents asked for significantly fewer brand name food items. That is... I don't know about the brand name thing, but I find it fascinating that three times more people who were guilty asked for a last meal or three times less, fewer, I guess, would be more apropos that if you're if you're proclaiming your innocence up until the day that you're murdered by the state, that you don't request a last meal. I really wonder what that says. So, of course, we want to talk about the limitations. They concede in their own study that there are several limitations to generalizing from the analysis. Since claims of innocence might not be altogether honest reflections of the prisoner's real opinion, and there is little continuity in how the records are kept from one prison to another, and most, 71% of the prisoners who claimed to be innocent still wanted their last meal. Still, the results are intriguing and offer an additional reason for continued analysis of death row's special meals. Why they are offered what they mean and why this started in the first place remains ambiguous. And as a side note, this is why we like science and research and data is because it's peer reviewed and they're going to list the limitations of their research. It's not just, oh, look at all this awesome shit that we found out. It's, hey, look at the data that we gathered. But before you do or after you do, here's some limitations that we've identified that, you know, could skew these numbers one way or the other. That is good. That is what you need to look for when trying to find studies like this. So before we move on, though, I want to hear more. I'm super interested about uh, these weirdos and what they ordered for their last meals. So Ted Bundy, everyone knows who Ted Bundy is. Um, Yeah. He's a serial killer. He was executed in Florida in 1989, um, electrocution. He declined a special meal, so he was given, but did not eat, the traditional steak, medium rare, eggs over easy, hash browns, toast, milk, coffee, juice, butter, and jelly. That sounds amazing. Yeah, the steak, the steak sounds good. Okay, any others? 
Yes, Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bombing. Yeah. He was... Dirty, filthy, domestic terrorist. He was executed in Indiana in 2001 through lethal injection. And he had two pints of mint chocolate chip ice cream as his last meal. So he wanted to inflict one last one last terror act upon himself with mint chocolate chip ice cream, which is terrible. So John Allen Muhammad. Oh, yeah. The the Beltway Sniper. Right. I, I lived there during that. Right. He was executed in Virginia in 2009, lethal injection. And his last meal was chicken with red sauce and several cakes. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but apparently a lot of cake. He was a weird dude. There was something wrong with that. I mean, obviously, there's something wrong when you sit in a in a hidden and fortified uh, sh- firing position and you murder people from afar 18 or 9 or 10 people I mean it was a lot of people over the course of several weeks right well that's super interesting we will definitely put the put a link to that on the Facebook page for you to check out and um, if you have anything to say about that or anything we've talked about or anything we will talk about you can call 657 657- Four six four seventy six zero nine. That is our number. Leave a fewer than three minute voicemail, or of course you can record yourself on your smartphone and email it to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Here's a here's a little thing about the number. Someone told me about this week. Um, they they said, why don't you just tell your audience to put your number on speed dial so they always have it? And I really I think that's an awesome idea. So right now you could. After I say the number, pause the show, plug our number in to speed dial 657-464-7609, and then you'll always have it. If something comes up, you're thinking of something, speed dial the show. Tell us. Talk to us. I really, I mean, it would really facilitate this being a conversation more than just us. Well, what do you think about that? If something comes up, you're thinking we should cover it, talk about it. It really would be like a conversation. That would be awesome. So do it. So next up, I was really surprised by this. And mainly because of the state in which it happened. Two lesbian ladies, they had a baby biologically. Well, obviously not with one another, but one of them biologically carried the child. And when it was born, they they obviously want to have a pediatrician. And there is a doctor in Michigan who is apparently a nutter-butter Christian who won't see, won't treat this lovely little baby because her parents are lesbians. I just, I find this, well, obviously any decent person would find this abhorrent because as we, as we talked about earlier, the, the baby, we don't know if the baby's a lesbian you know, no one knows what the baby's sexual orientation is. Right. It's a baby. Well, I mean, also, you're a doctor. First, do no harm. Right. So I just don't understand what's going on here. So a, a, a lot has been made of this, and the, a lot of questions have been asked of, of the mothers. As far as we know, Bay doesn't have a sexual orientation yet, you know, so there, I, I'm not really sure what that matters. We're not your patient. She's your patient. And the fact that you can't, your job is to keep babies healthy and you can't keep a baby healthy that has gay parents. It's, it's disgusting. That just so clearly paints the picture right there. I mean, right. well, the thing is, is it's not like they just, they, they had the baby and then they 
popped in on the pediatrician and we're they set an appointment. Okay, we're gonna have our baby and come in. And we're gonna th then we'll meet you. Then we'll decide whether you're gonna be able to treat us. It well, that's not how it worked. And we were really happy with you know her the kind of care she offered. Um, we liked her personality. She seemed very friendly. So they went in prior to even ha giving birth and met, they did their due diligence, as it were. They met with the pediatrician. They met with this woman to make sure that personalities were going to be great. You know, they, they want to meet the person that's going to be treating their child. Right. And every, everything went well. And we were really happy with, you know, her, the kind of care she offered. Um, we liked her personality. She seemed very friendly. Um, she seemed pretty straight up with us. So for me, that pours more fuel on the fire to really want to shit on this doctor. Because Be she was originally okay with them. Yes. And then, I mean, I wonder what she thought the dynamic was going in. Like, did she think they were just friends? I, I Well, one, I don't know that that matters. And I don't think you think that matters. But... Well, I'm just curious what right. what the doctor thought the dynamic was at first, because what, what when did she change her mind? Like, at what point? Well, she must have known because she didn't even have the balls to show up on the very first appointment. She had one of the other doctors take care to say, oh, she's not going to be treating you. I'll be helping you out. The first thing Dr. Karam said, well, I'll be your doctor. I'll be seeing you today because Dr. Roy decided this morning that she prayed on it and she won't be able to care for Bay. Dr. Karam told us she didn't even come to the office that morning because she didn't want to see us. Coward. Uh, well, I'm, you're a doctor. Why are right. you praying about whether or not you need to treat somebody? That's you're, right. You're a doctor and first do no harm. That, that is your mantra. She is a woman of science. She's not a faith healer. She's a science healer. So she prays to her imaginary God who doesn't talk back and then decided, I'm not going to treat this innocent, beautiful newborn because her parents are, are gay. That's apparently not illegal, but it absolutely should be. So they ended up um they ended up going to another doctor and they put this on on uh they put this on social media and then it was like 4 months later that this doctor apparently over the the kerfuffle over the 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 hoo-ha <laughs> over all of the the media the, the 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 doctor finally wrote them a letter apologizing it was embarrassing. It was humiliating. And, and, you know, here we are, new parents trying to protect her. And we know this happens in the world. And we're, we're completely prepared for this, you know, to happen other places. But not at our six-day-old wellness appointment. I think that's a really good point. You know, they're gay. They're aware. They know what goes on. They know that this kind of thing is going to happen in other places. You know, at a restaurant, at a movie theater, out on the street, they know that that people are stupid and they're going to get catcalled or or treated poorly because people are, are prejudiced bigots. You know, some people are. But where they didn't expect this kind of bigotry, where they didn't expect this kind of discrimination, is that their 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 baby's very first appointment at the doctor. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really upsetting, and especially for anyone that, 
you know, when we talk about the the people who don't want to make gay wedding cakes and all that. Right. I mean, this is this all the same kind of stuff. I mean, you can't be discriminating against people based on their sexual orientation. And especially when you're a doctor, I mean, everybody needs help. And yeah. that's why you became a doctor to help people, I'm assuming. I mean, right. And it probably wasn't just for the student loans. Right. So, <laughs> you know, why don't you do that? And you don't need to get advice from your God about that. You just need to help the little baby that came in and right. needs help. Like, well, I, I just don't understand it. <laughs> like I said earlier, they did take to social media and they shared this with their their local friends. And I don't think that they really had it in their hearts that this was going to go crazy viral. But it, it most certainly did. If some of they're discriminating against anyone, I would want to know because I, I wouldn't want to support that doctor or dentist or whoever's doing it. And so we just really wanted people to know that this is happening to families. And I'm glad they did. I'm glad that they did because it do, people do need to know these aren't super, super rare instances where someone won't make a cake for a wedding. Someone won't, you know, do whatever, make a wedding dress. This is happening a lot and it happens in situations where it absolutely should not and medical care is certainly one of those times apparently though under michigan law this doctor doesn't have a legal obligation to to treat i just don't understand how that's possible well i could see it if she gave a valid reason i my patient roster is full right now i just don't have the time to take on a new a new patient i could see that but they went to her first she agreed to see and then changed her mind. And then, it, four months later, wrote the letter saying that she had prayed about it. And it's just ridiculous. Well, you know, those they used to play these commercials about, like, housing discrimination on the radio. Mm -hmm. And it would be, you know, a white guy calling, you know, or a stereotypical white voice right. calling. I remember those. And saying, hey, I'm looking to rent an apartment. And then the woman, like, gets all excited. Oh, hey, yeah, come on down. There's one available. There's plenty available or whatever. And then they play another recording and it's like a stereotypical black voice. Right. And she's like, yeah, there's no, there's no apartments available for you, sir. You know, and they tried these different voices and. Right. It's like uh, Roger Sterling's wife. Right. <laughs> right. And, and show how these people get rejected right. based on their color of their skin. And this is the same kind of thing. If those yeah, commercials, no if those commercials made you feel outraged, then you should feel outraged by this because this is the same kind of discrimination. I mean, right. it's just ridiculous. For sure. So we'll, we, we're going to put this story on the Facebook page. Go sure. Go, be sure to check it out. Also, go like the Facebook page. Go tell your friends to like the Facebook page. It is we do post the articles there. We don't do a lot of interacting. Maybe we should do more interacting and we'll get more people to like the Facebook page. We are, we're right there hovering around 300. And uh, I'd like to see more interaction. Or I think that would be a great thing, you know, in the spirit of moving the conversation forward. So we never want to leave a show on a negative note. And um, this show oftentimes is a catalyst for angst, anger, disappointment with people in power, especially police officers. And it's always nice when we get to share a story of a cop who's doing the right thing. He was called to confront a shoplifter at Kroger, but for Officer Justin Roby, this wasn't a case to go by the book. 
as a police officer, you have to, it's not black and white for us. There's a lot of gray, and you have to cipher through everything, and you really need to figure out the whole story. Roby says the suspect, a single father fallen on hard times, was stealing formula for his baby boy. So Roby bought him some himself. And me citing him for court wouldn't have done any good for him. He's already short on money, can't afford formula. So me, me making him appear in court, he's still not going to have any food for that baby. Officer Roby says there was nothing special about what he did here at Kroger, that his fellow officers do selfless acts such as changing tires every day, every shift even. It just doesn't always get seen. I think when they look at us, they see just the uniform and just the car, just the tools that we have on our belt. But behind the uniform, I'm a human being and I'm a person out here in this community just like any of them. You know, I have a little boy. I'm a father just like that, that gentleman was. His message for the father, it's okay to ask for help. His message for others, we're not these robots. You know, we're, there's a human behind the badge. In London, Garrett Weimer, WKYT. So we always like these stories. Well, I do. Because, no, I, I do too. I do too. Because I think it's, you know, this is obviously someone who is down on their luck and they're, they're stealing baby food. It's not like he was stealing, you know, I don't know, something that... Playboy magazine. Yeah, something that's not <laughs> a complete and total necessity. You know what I mean? Well, I like the story because he, the, the cop would have, would absolutely have been justified, had been justified. Is it have been? See, pills, no good. Back hurting. <laughs> <laughs> the cop would have actually absolutely been justified hadn't hadn't he God damn. The cop, I think I'm gonna leave this in. <laughs> the cop would have been justified by arresting the man. There no one could have argued, well, yeah, but he's got a kid. Yeah, but he stole. So it's nice that he was thinking on his feet enough to say and really thinking about this man and the welfare of the child and thinking, yeah, but it's not going to help the situation. It's going to make it compounded and hard, harder for, for the guy. C court fees are not cheap. Court costs are not cheap. The fines that would be incurred with shoplifting, the, the possible jail time, the arrest time, all of that stuff, the bail, all that stuff adds up. If you're so poor that you can't even afford the formula, when you're a single father trying to make it work, that, that's a rarity. Single fathers are far rarer than single mothers. So the guy's really putting in and doing yeoman's work to try to, to, to raise a child. Goddamn. Good for this guy standing up and doing the right thing. So with that, because of my aching, sore ass back, I think we're going to end it there. What do you think? Perfect. Perfect. Listen, we love you. We appreciate you. If you'd like to support the show other than listening twice a week to me ramble on and on, you can go to dollamore.com and click on one of our Amazon links and do a search for whatever product you want to buy from there. If you're going to spend your money anyway on Amazon, why not help support your favorite show providing you twice a week news, news. and ridiculous comments? We love you. We appreciate you. So until Monday, we'll see you then. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. Hi, 
Elliot Roger here. 